Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Exciting stuff happening around here. I want to say to you guys, you guys rock. I'm really proud of all of you. You did a phenomenal job down there. Uh, you always do, but that just seemed really special. Uh, and then to have Winella join our staff, it's, uh, I mean, we're just very blessed right now. So um, if you're just joining us, we are uh, in a series called The Good Life, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And what we're trying to do before we get into the sermon proper is we've allowed the Beatitudes to sort of launch us into an orientation before you read the Sermon on the Mount, before you learn from its details, Uh, because we've been invited into this new reality where God rules and, and cares for us, and we need to know how to operate in that new reality, and so we're getting oriented to it, and we've sort of pictured it like this. These are all like the the qualities and the Beatitudes, and you enter into this kingdom, and we're trying to figure out how these people think and live, how they operate before we get into the details uh, of the sermon. And what we've said about uh, this world we've been invited into, God's world, God's world has been opened up to us, and it's mind-boggling astonishingly wonderful, but it is a lot to take in. It's, we've had a couple of heavy weeks getting oriented to uh, the kingdom here. It's vast. And one of the ways we've pictured the vastness of it, and just in picturing of it, is a challenge. So think about this. Uh, this is how we've pictured this. So God's full world is opened up to us. That means there's this whole new reality that we have stepped into. And in this reality, remember, he's raised the standard. Um, The righteousness of the Pharisees, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, uh, you don't enter the kingdom. So he's lifted the roof, literally, on what it means to live for God. And then he's widened the borders. No one, no one is too far gone to enter the kingdom, whether you're socially, culturally, ethnically, racially. There's no boundaries. Everyone is invited into the kingdom. And so it's pushed that world open. And then he drives transformation deeper into the heart. So he's raised the standard, he's widened the borders, and he's deepened the transformation, changing us at the heart level. That's a vast world God has opened up to us. New options, new possibilities in this kingdom. You want to protect your heart from shrinking. We get into the kingdom, we get into the church, and our our hearts just shrink. Our lives shrink. 
instead of operating like we have a much bigger reality and world, God's world. So we're acclimating to this new environment. We said there's three characteristics of these people that all of the details of the Sermon on the Mount constantly challenge. They challenge at least three things. One of them, we looked at at length, we depend on spiritual resources for our existence. Material, material sources and material outcomes do not dictate our lives anymore. We are freed when we come into the kingdom from allowing anything material to rule us. Okay? We spent lots of time on that. We have a different kinds of resources that feed us, give us strength, give us joy, give us purpose, give us hope. They are not the same things that the world is constantly looking to. The second thing is we surrender to God's complete transformation of our lives. That's another reality that, that hits us, that God's not just worried about outward behavior. So in the first one, I'm weaned off of material sources and outcomes. And in the second one, I'm weaned off of externals and outward appearances. And we use this phrase. It's one of my, literally one of my favorite spiritual phrases. Beyond is within. This vast world that God has opened up to us. Jesus drives into the center of our hearts. Remember in Aladdin, brought this up to you before. This is the image that comes to my mind every time. Powerful cosmic powers. What? Thank you. Itty bitty living space. This whole world that God has opened up to us. This whole other reality. Is inside. It's not just a kingdom we enter. It enters us. It indwells us. So I quoted Calvin Miller because I love the way he captures this vastness when he thinks about inwardness. He says, inwardness defies all laws of space and time. It endows us with a life and destiny greater than our own. What we contain is more than what we are. It's heaven. It's immeasurable. Love without dimensions. All in the confines of a fleshly frame I carry with me. This vast world that God has opened up. He has chosen to take those phenomenal cosmic powers and put them in me and put them in you. The cosmic Christ, as Miller says, the transgalactic omnipotence has taken up residence in our hearts, indwells us. This has to mean, just the very nature of that, has to mean 
that God wants a personal, very transforming communion with me. That his kingship has invaded me, taken over my heart, the very control center of my whole being. So we said, the arena of the spiritual life is in here. And if it's not where your focus is, if you don't have an inward focus, then you're not really even playing on the right, you're not even on the right playing field. You're playing a different game. Remember, we said when Jesus came into town, he said, there is a new game in town. We don't do it like we used to do it. And so that requires a different way of relating to God because as soon as I bring up matters of the heart and on the inside, now we're dealing. With the headquarters of our life, our desires, our, our decision-making, here's where we locate our beliefs, our ideas, our feelings, our habits, choices, plans, expectations, our outlook. It's all coming from there. We live out of that space. And it's incredibly complex space. Hard to decipher at times and requires real effort and work. So we use the illustration of Jesus saying, which he'll use a number of these to illustrate this point. Uh, you've heard it said not to commit adultery. I'm telling you, even lust in the heart is adulterous. And immediately Jesus is opening up this inner world to us. You cannot come into the kingdom and close off the inner world. You can no longer be content with all kind of evil going on on the inside. As long as you've kept yourself from certain behaviors and made sure no one sees the ones you can't keep underneath the surface. That's not the Christian life. So I read an article this week in The Atlantic. Actually, a couple on this topic. I won't go into the details of it. It's just not the right time. But it's talking about Christianity and the way it's viewed by the outside world. And for many people, he writes this article, for many people who claim to be Christian, Jesus is simply, use this word, a hood ornament. This image. Just a hood ornament. It's just something you place out there, connect with them outwardly, but inside there's no change. So the moment Jesus brings up lust, now I start thinking about that and I got to go, oh, okay, so now I, if I'm going to deal with lust and not just adultery, I got to deal with my ego. We all like it when we get attention from somebody. And I got to deal with my selfishness. My beliefs will come into play, the ones I, I have deep. How I see people will come into play. 
Am I willing to use people, destroy people's lives to get something I want? Is that how far I'll go? Is that what's at stake when I'm dealing with lust? If we're just dealing with adultery and I just don't have to cross that line, there's a whole lot of things I don't have to think about. You start talking about that inner heart, the whole world changes. You wonder why Jesus wants in there. So let's talk about inwardness and outwardness as it relates to spirituality, because the whole sermon is constantly bouncing back and forth between these two things. And if you don't have a, uh, a comprehensive picture of the way God wants to transform you, you end up with a, we've talked about it before, just a very strange kind of Christianity. So Calvin Miller writes this about inwardness and outwardness. And I love the imagery. Outwardness and inwardness are the poles of spirituality, as north and south are poles of the earth's geography. So I just sort of picture it like this, okay? So this is sort of the north. This is where the, the you know, sort of the line of behavior is, the external behavior. And then underneath that, this would be the south. This is the deeper uh, issues of the heart. So you have these north and south poles of the spiritual life. Both of them matter. I was just recently at a retreat with couples doing some marriage stuff. And in the span of maybe 20 hours, had two private counseling sessions. One with a couple where one of them committed adultery and the other one came clean about how porn has entered back into his life. Two different sessions, both devastating, both demeaning, both destructive. You understand exactly what Jesus is saying. This is the source of it all. The guy who was in doing porn couldn't think any any less of the guy who crossed the line up here, could he? Oh, thank God I'm not this guy. That's how weird Christianity gets. Well, nobody sees this inside me. It must be okay. As long as nobody sees it. It's every bit as devastating. You avoided the behavior, but you, you got inside you. It's falling apart. So let's talk about what it means to go inside. Because, I mean, dealing with these issues is different than dealing with that issues. Even though this one produces this one. You don't do this one without this one. And if you're doing this one, you got to be really careful because you're likely to get here. And what is going on down here? that allows that to bubble up into, into that kind of issue. So what are we talking about when we talk about going into the heart? So that's what I, that's what I want to do. I'm just going to, I just want to say, what does it mean to go inward? Okay, first thing I want to know, first thing we want to know about the inwardness. Is that not the best heart you've ever seen drawn in your life? 
There's something wrong with that heart. We need a defibrillator. We got something in here, you know? All right, listen. First of all, according to the sermon, it's where God is, it's where God is, and it's where he looks. This is where his eyes are. Remember First Samuel? I mean, you, you, you hear this early on. God looks at the heart, not the outer appearance. Okay? And then you get to the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll look much more closely at this later. But look at the kind of things Jesus says. I mean, he says it right out loud. He's not hiding this principle. Beware of a spiritual life that has an outer, an external behavior kind of deal. Because all you care about is what people see. Be very careful about that, Jesus. He's driving home this point. Because I'm trying to do more. And then he says it this way. When you pray, go to your room, shut the door, pray to your father. Look where he is. Look where your father is. That's where he is. And look. That's what he's looking at. That's what he's looking at. That's where he is, and it's what he's looking at. This is so simple, but so profound. So the first thing about the inwardness is that's where God is. That's what he's looking at. So all of a sudden, you can start to see about your spiritual life. i got to be more concerned about what God's looking at than what other people are looking at. That will immediately change the playing field. Second thing, the reason God looks inside there is because you can attend to the outwardness. You can attend to the outwardness and have all kinds of... Remember, Jesus... And have all kinds of evil going on on the inside. We all know that to be true. And so you end up going through motions. And you play that hide and seek game. Where you hide the sins. And even if they do surface to the outward and become a behavior, you try to hide that. You hide the sin. You perform just enough outwardly to make you feel a little better about your sin, to justify your behavior. And it just gets exhausting. So when you live on the surface, when you live on the surface of the spiritual life, it becomes about you and what people see. It becomes about you and what people see. It's not God anymore. It's not God driving my life anymore. Something else is. Remember I've told you about the North Pole? This freaked me out. I had to do some research on it. But the magnetic pole is uh, drifting. You may not have known that. The magnetic pole is drifting. It's drifting east towards Siberia. 
The last time I brought it up to you was drifting at nine miles a year. It's up to 30. Okay? And so, uh, just interesting to me. So the world magnetic model, which has to adjust itself all the time so that we don't, so that we don't operate with the wrong north. All right? So navigationally and operationally. So, I mean, of course, this would have military implications. It would also have implications about you driving somewhere today. If you focus, so spiritually speaking, if you focus on the north, the externals, there's a dynamic pulling you away from from that North Star, and the right thing's not pulling you, you end up over here with someone worried about what someone else sees. And it gets you all messed up. Because at the surface, without true North, you will become very self-righteous. You'll justify your behavior and you'll condemn others for theirs. And that's when your spiritual life starts drift, drifting toward Siberia. In Matthew 23, Jesus attacked the Pharisees for this very thing. It's a scathing statement on this. It should ring in our ears in the same book where the Sermon on the Mount is located. Jesus tells these people who were so focused on the outside, you know, they wore these phylacteries. What I mean by the outside is they literally put the law on their wrists in a little box. The little boxes. You'd strap one to your forehead. You'd strap one to your wrist here. And all it had was the law contained in it. It was as if, look at me, I'm a law keeper. Look at me, I'm a law keeper. Imagine walking around with your Bible strapped to your forehead. Because that's the image. And pretty soon, you know what would happen? Oh, let's see who's got a bigger Bible on their forehead. They must be the most spiritual people. Boy, that looks like a really nice Bible. You just get that weird. We'd be measuring foreheads. Jesus says, you can't be any clearer than this. You guys are hypocrites. You're like a whitewashed tomb. You paint the thing outside great, but inside the dead body. Outwardly, you appear beautiful. You're full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. You outwardly appear righteous. Within you, you're a hypocrite and lawless. These were people with impeccable external behaviors. You can literally change some outward behaviors and be dead inside. So the other principle that comes out of this is that true change starts here. 
The spiritual, the direction then of your spiritual life is this way, not this way. Do we even know what direction our spiritual life is going? Or have we lost the North Star? You deal with lust, you deal with that. That gets covered if you deal with this. If your ego gets in check. If you don't treat people like they're just something you can take. That's what we're talking about. So how do you combat this tendency that the Pharisees had, you know, to, to, to just appear spiritual but not really be? None of us like that feeling. And I guarantee every single person in here who has any desire to be spiritual knows what I'm talking about. You just know you're not what people think you are or how you portray yourself. And there's no worse feeling in the world. There's nothing worse. So we don't want it. But how do you fight the tendency? Well, remember back here. Let's just go here. Because I'm going to show you a couple things uh, about this fighting. First thing you have to do is you've got to develop a secret life that nobody can see. So if you don't wean yourself off of what people do see by having a strong, robust, secret spiritual life, then you really are only focused on the outside. So unless you find yourself gravitating toward the invisible and the unseen, you'll start getting pulled aside. You know what it's pulling the North Pole? There's this hot core of the earth, the center of the earth. It's hot. It's creating these electrical currents, and these various currents are pulling the pole the magnetic pole away from its point of reference. And our culture is filled with things that will get your attention off of that. And they're all external. They're all driven externally. And if you don't have an, a robust inner life to counterbalance those currents, you'll get off track. I mean, we're constantly doing this anyway. So here's what here's I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me screaming about this. You have to get comfortable alone with God. I know you've heard it since the day you became a Christian. We are not comfortable alone with him. And I get it. But if I'm not developing this inner life, beyond is within. All the things God has in store to do in me, through me, 
all the new options available to me now as a kingdom participant. I've got to go inside to unlock them. Because there's a whole world within. Calvin said, our hearts are like idle factories. That core and that currents are constantly creating new things to get my attention. Fears, anxieties, insecurities, expectations, pettiness, attachments to things and people. Constant. And so what happens when I'm alone? Is I see those things at work. When I'm alone with them. I know you're sitting here and I just want to go ahead and get it out because I know it's true. You go, I would really love to have an alone time with God when I'm busy. And I, I, I totally get it. Um, you know, pastors harp on it like you don't have busy lives. Some of your lives are insane. I, I understand. So, I don't... I want you to feel beat over the head here. What I want you to say is, how am I going to get here? And then once you get there, you're like, I don't know what to do. And I get that too. I'm going to tease that out a little bit quick. But if I don't become concerned about the driving forces of my life, keeping myself in check at, the, at, the, at interacting with God about those inner forces in my heart, and when I do that, I, I suddenly become aware of some things that are going on in here. And I, uh, so, when I'm alone with God, I can, I can look at things a little deeper. Uh, you know, the reason I love physics, even though I'm completely inept at it, like you couldn't count on me to do anything for you physics-wise, is because I love the micro world. I love the world at the smallest level because there's a line. As soon as you get past to the smallest things that make up reality, all of, the, all of the laws change. It becomes very complex. We can't measure. We, can't, we have no idea how many dimensions are at work underneath it. And there's guesses all over science. And the particles don't operate like they do above the line. Above the line, they have these clear things. We can measure them. This one went here, hit that one, did that. We can measure everything. Down here, they're all doing things they're not supposed to do. And so it's a scary, it's a weird world. That's what it's like looking at your heart. One of the reasons we don't want to be alone with God is because we don't know what to do with the weirdness we see in here. And there's weird stuff going on in here. And it's, it exposes you and it's, it's painful. Really is painful. 
that you're capable of thinking some of the things you think, that your ego is so fragile, you'll ruin a family over it. It's crazy. But if you're not in touch with those things, with God. So some of how this looks for me. Um, you know how you'll get a, this is one of the really surface easy ways to start. You get a new want. Have you gotten a new want? You know, something you start, you just started wanting something at this stage in your life. You didn't want even 10 years ago, a year ago. Whenever I get a new want, where's that coming from? Is it a status thing? Selfish thing? Where's that coming from? Ask that question. It'll revamp your attention to the matter. How about a new sadness? Something else making you sad. How about a new grudge? You got a new person to be mad at. That can be fun, huh? A new person to be mad at. Where'd that come from? Where's that hatred building from? What am I overlooking? Or how about a new worry? I mean, these are coming in and out of our lives all the time. We can process that with God. And you say something like this, Lord, I, you know, because below the surface, you don't know how it's all working. You can't decipher it at all. Here's what you do know, though. You do know this. You've let something ease into the center of your life and it's driving you, your feelings, your thinking, your actions, and it shouldn't be the thing driving you. Does everybody know that feeling? Can you at least say to God in that moment, Lord, I'm not sure where it's coming from yet, but usually my ego and my selfishness and my self-righteousness, those are usually the first three culprits you check. Who do I think I am? You just ask that question. Let me tell you, it'll change your quiet time. It'll change the way you do life when you're processing yourself before God like that. Because you just say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but I know something else is at the center of my life, and it's supposed to be you. The second thing you do is you verbalize this. You go, and I don't want that to be the center. Can you even verbalize that? You get down and you go, I don't know exactly what's doing it, but I know it shouldn't be there. And then can you say secondly, I don't want this anymore. You have that conversation with God a couple of mornings a week. You'll start thinking about your spiritual life much different. You'll read the Psalms completely different. So, Lord, not sure exactly where it's coming from. Usually you'll know. Don't, don't sell yourself short. You know exactly what it is. Your ego's getting stroked. Or, or some motivation that isn't unhealthy that you can process with God. Now, I'm going to give you, just real quickly now, I'm going to give you two things lately I've been processing. They come from two quotes I read that I cannot get out of my head, and if I wanted to, I could make every quiet time about these two things. Here's the first one.
Archbishop William Temple. When you don't have anything, when you don't have to think of anything, when your mind isn't being taken to think by the environment, where does your mind go? What gives you the most comfort to fantasize about? He says, that's your God. Remember that idol factory we're talking about? Your religion is what you do with your solitude. When you're alone and when you're quiet, where does your mind go? Because that will reveal your real idols. Wherever your mind tends to go naturally. And here's what I would suggest. You might not have even done this for a while. When was the last time you even registered where your mind goes naturally? Like at night, when you're you're about to fall asleep, it's dark, you're still awake, you're thinking, and most of your body is shutting down and even your mind, a few things will surface back up. Those are the key things in your mind and heart. All I've started to do because of this quote is think to myself, okay, where's that thought coming from? To what degree am I depending on that? Why is that surfacing? David says in Psalm 63, when I remember you upon my bed, at night when I'm going to sleep, is my mind with you? Do I meditate on you in the watches of the night? Can't sleep. Your brain won't shut off. What's up there? You processing that stuff before God? probably is revealing. You've, you're the one that's been my help. I don't have to worry about it. You are the one giving me shelter. My soul better cling to you right now. And you're able to say, hey, you get down from there. I can't have you. I got to cling to something else than that expectation, fantasy, daydream, whatever it is. So that's the first thing. So no matter what you're reading in your quiet time, you just relate it back to where's my brain going? All right, second one. Here's another quote. General Charles Gordon. It's incredible. The more one sees of life, the more one feels that in order to, be, to, to keep from shipwreck, the necessity of steering by the polar star. I love the imagery of this because the whole northern magnetic pole. What's guiding your life? In a word, God alone. It better be God as your polar star. And never pay attention to the favors or smiles of man. If God smiles on you, neither the smile or frown of men can affect you. This is overwhelming. How many of your lives our lives on a daily basis, our mood is doing this because either someone's disappointed with us or someone's happy with us. And we're yanked around, just yanked around from one mood to the next. Criticism or praise drops you. And you either take it too far or you let it devastate you because you're worried about what people think. 
Winston Churchill said of Charles Gordon, he is a man. This is, the, this is the kind of thing I pray. Look, I want to be this kind of man. A man careless alike of the frowns of men or the smiles of women. Whose attention would you like to have? And who's disappointed with you and it has wrecked you? You can't operate. You don't see yourself in light of who God sees you. You see yourself either in the frowns or smiles of people. I'm going to tell you, you could process a lot there. Lord, I'm sitting here going, why is my world, why is my heart beating so fast and I feel so overwhelmed? It's either because I'm really happy because somebody has spotted me or I'm really sad because I've disappointed somebody. Who can have a quiet time about that literally every morning? Because my identity and character get yanked around, not by that star, but by that person or that person. And I'm doing this every day, not this. Let me just wrap this up. When you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. I mean, that ought to be, that's the, that ought to be the title of your spiritual life. Shut the door. Because your father's there and he sees what kind of an inner quiet life? All these spiritual things God wants to do, all in the little space of a closet. You've got to go in the closet for it to happen. And even though it's a tiny space, it's phenomenally big, vast, what God can do to a person who's willing to process his life before him. And I'm going to tell you three things that happen. And I want to, this is the other thing I would tell you. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're, going to, you're going to fear this. I don't know what to do when I get there. Just get there. And then just ask him. Say, Lord, I know there's some things inside me. You may be not good at this. I know. I know there's some things inside me that are not healthy right now. Help me see those. Remember when David said, search me, O God. I don't even know how to surface them. Ask God to do it. Tell him, I don't want anything being my polar star but you. And right now, there's some things, Lord, that have my attention, and I'm not looking at you. Orient your quiet times around that. And three things will happen. Number one, you'll have a closer communion with God. And you'll have quicker reads going to talk about this, but we don't have time. You'll have quicker reads in life. In life, you'll catch yourself faster. When you do lust, when the thought of lusting comes into your mind, you'll have a quicker, ooh, ooh, I see where that's coming from. That's the first thing. The second thing is deeper conversations. I'll bet one of the things in here marriages could use is some deeper conversations. Because if you're looking deep into your soul, you better believe it's going to surface. And the people you love the most, the most intimate, your friends. I have deep conversations about these inner things. 
with close friends and my wife. And, I, and I'm, I'm awkward at all of them. But because it's in here and bubbling up, I'm going to talk about it with my closest community. And then the final thing. And this Christians have to learn. We're not very gentle when people fail. But if you're aware of the sick things going on in your own mind and heart, you're much more gentle with people. Who are you pouncing on right now? That you need to let up because you got your own stuff to deal with. Jesus isn't messing around when he gives this sermon. Are you with me on that? I just ruined your lunch. I know I did. This sermon, his sermon will ruin your lunch. All right, let's pray. Father, this stuff has just been, it's been heavy stuff, trying to wrap our arms around what you really intend for us, what's available to us. We're missing out on a lot, Father. For many of us, we're not even looking at the same things you're looking at. There's no way we can be close to you. There's no way we can actually be transformed if we're not even looking at the same things you're looking at. And, Father, we're uncomfortable with you. We just are. And so I'm asking that your spirit, in its uniquely inviting way, will draw us to yourself in a way that we're just not afraid to do it. I know some people in here, Lord, maybe today are getting a little bit of a vision, catching a little bit of an imaginative spirit of what it could be like if you took over their hearts. What a world of difference. And for those who do have that, I pray your spirit would invite them that we would get over our fears of connecting with you at this level. In Jesus' name, amen.